The Church Universal has long celebrated the mystery of the Incarnation in two parts, the Nativity and the Epiphany. In these two parts, we remember and celebrate both God's humble entry into the world, the birth of God as a helpless babe born unto the Virgin Mary, as well as the manifestation of God's glory to the world, the coming of Jesus Christ as the light of the world. And this is why our Christmas celebration does not end on December 25th, and rather it begins there. And it continues through the 12 days of Christmas, as we call it, which end on January 6th, Epiphany. It is Epiphany that we celebrate today. As we prepare to read God's holy, inerrant, infallible word, let us pray together, asking God to help us rightly understand and submit ourselves to it. Let us pray. Lord God of the nations, we have seen the star of your glory rising in splendor. The radiance of your incarnate word pierces the night that covers the earth and signals the dawn of justice and peace. May his brightness illumine our lives and invite all nations to walk as one in your light, even now, as your word is read and proclaimed. We ask this through Jesus Christ, your word made flesh, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit in the splendor of eternal light, God forever and ever. Amen. Our passage this morning is from Isaiah 60. Hear the word of the Lord. It is written. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see, they all gather together, they come to you. Your son shall come from afar. And your daughter shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult. Because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nation shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah. All those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense. And shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered to you, and the rams of Nabaoth shall minister to you. They shall come up with acceptance on my altar, and I will beautify my beautiful house. Who are these that fly like a cloud and like doves to their windows? For the coastland shall hope for me, the ships of Tarshish first, to bring your children from afar, their silver and gold with them, for the name of the Lord your God. And for the Holy One of Israel, because he has made you beautiful. Foreigners shall build up your walls, and their king shall minister to you. For in my wrath I struck you, but in my favor I have had mercy on you. Your gates shall be open continually. Day and night they shall not be shut, that people may bring to you the wealth of the nations, with their kings led in procession. For the nation and kingdom that will not serve you shall perish. Those nations shall be utterly laid waste. The glory of Lebanon shall come to you, the cypress, the plain, and the pine, 
to beautify the place of my sanctuary, and I will make the place of my feet glorious. The sons of those who afflicted you shall come bending low to you, and all who despised you shall bow down at your feet. They shall call you the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Whereas you have been forsaken and hated, with no one passing through, I will make you majestic forever, a joy from age to age. You shall suck the milk of nations, shall nurse at the breast of kings. You shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Instead of bronze, I will bring gold, and instead of iron, I will bring silver. Instead of wood, bronze, instead of stones, iron. I will make your overseers peace and your taskmasters righteousness. Violence shall no more be heard in your land. Devastation or destruction within your borders. They shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. The sun shall no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light. But the Lord will be your everlasting light and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down. Your moon withdraw itself. For the Lord will be your everlasting light and your days of mourning shall be ended. Your people shall all be righteous. They shall possess the land forever. The branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I might be glorified. The least one shall become a clan, and the smallest one a mighty nation. I am the Lord, and it's time I will hasten it. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Isaiah 60 is an epiphany text. The prophet Isaiah foretells hundreds of years before the coming of Jesus, of the coming of God's light into the world. But Isaiah 60 is not simply a prophecy of the appearance of the Messiah. Isaiah 60 also tells what the marvelous appearing will produce both in the people of God and from the world. So we're going to focus in on these two aspects of the coming of God's light in the person of Jesus Christ this morning in order that not only we can marvel at what God has done, but also that we might understand this prophecy's continued implications for us today. We'll begin first with what the coming of God's light produces in God's people. So first, Isaiah tells us that God's glory appearing in the midst of his people in the Messiah will produce in them light. Look at the first few verses. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. Now, don't fail to be amazed at this prophecy. How is it, after all, that a hard-hearted, sinful bunch of people can become bearers of the light of God's glory to the world? And this is exactly what's being said here in the first few verses of chapter 60. And we should remember what we discussed a few weeks ago on the second week of Advent when we looked at Isaiah 62 and discover that God would make Israel a righteous people. Righteousness, a right standing with God, would not come from Israel's efforts. 
It was not something that Israel could accomplish by doing good works that were pleasing to the Lord. It was not something that would happen as a result of Israel's ability to keep the law. Quite the contrary. Israel was lost in sin. Remember, Isaiah's prophecy was God's word to a people who were in exile because of their rebellion against God. The people of God had wandered far from him with no ability to return on their own. The reality was that Israel lived in deep darkness as a result of their turning away from God. They lived in confusion and ignorance and the death of their sin rather than in the light of God. The light that God had given to them through revelation of himself and through his commandments. Their ability to shine the light of the Lord's glory then was slim to non-existent. So just as Israel's righteousness depended entirely on God, so too did Israel's ability to shine God's light. But Isaiah tells here of a coming time when God would shine his light on them in a new way through his servant, the Messiah, who would come and dwell among them. Now, we have the privilege of standing on the other side of Christmas, the other side of the coming of Jesus Christ. So we know that when the Messiah came, he came proclaiming himself not only to be that servant, who was prophesied later in Isaiah, to be one who was anointed to bring the good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and to, the re, to release the imprisoned, but he also came proclaiming that he was the light of the world. And what we see in Jesus Christ is one in whom the light of God's glory shines, but it shines in such a way as to be shared with God's people. In his life, Jesus gave glory to his Father in heaven by perfectly displaying for the world his Father's character, his beauty, his righteousness, his goodness, his mercy, his grace, his justice, his holiness. We see Jesus speaking to his heavenly Father, praying in John 17, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Having glorified his father, Jesus, in John 17, prepared to finish his salvific work through his death and resurrection before ascending back to his throne in heaven where he would receive the glory he was due as God Almighty. But first, he prays this for his people. The glory that you have given to me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Jesus does a remarkable thing in his ascended ministry in the sending of the Holy Spirit to dwell within his people. He gives his glory to his people, not in order that they might look great for themselves, not in order that they might be exalted and honored by the world, but in order that they might point the world to God, that they might continue his work of shining God's light into the world. And so in defeating sin and death and in reconciling 
to God those who place their faith in his all-sufficient sacrifice, that he might abide in them and they in he. Jesus Christ made it possible by his grace for all those who are in him to shine God's glory. He made it possible for them to reflect the glory of God through their lives in order that God's mighty work of salvation might be on display for all the world to see. And God himself receives all the glory for this salvific work. We see then what the appearance of the light produces in the people of God. It produces the light of God's glory shining through them. But we also see in Isaiah's prophecy what it will produce from the world. So secondly, as God's light shines on and through his people, God draws the nations unto himself. The prophet Isaiah says in verse 3, And the nation shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Like moths coming to a porch light at night, the nation shall come to God's people who shine the light of the glory of God. There is an irresistible attractiveness of the Messiah. God's light has dawned that the nations might be drawn to God. And this is what epiphany is all about. It's about God's plan of salvation for the world coming to fruition through the coming of Jesus Christ. And we see this in Matthew's gospel, the Magi coming from afar, following a light, seeking to find the Christ child to worship him. Isaiah tells us here that the nations will come bearing gifts of gold and frankincense and bringing good news, the praises of the Lord. This, by the way, is why the coming of the Magi are usually associated with Epiphany. They represent the fulfillment, at least in part, of the prophecy of Isaiah concerning the appearing of the light. And yet, this prophecy has not been fulfilled in its fullness. It's still being fulfilled day by day since the coming of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We see this playing out in the New Testament where we find, praise be to God, that this prophecy in Isaiah 60 was not simply about the returning of Israel from exile. It wasn't simply about Jerusalem or the rebuilding of the temple there, which was financed by Darius, the king of Persia. It wasn't simply about Israel being shown as glorious. It was about much, much more. It was about God desiring to make a people of his own possession much larger than one people group. It's about the great commission given by Jesus Christ to his disciples to go to the ends of the earth and make disciples of all nations. It was about God establishing a temple for himself, not just in Jerusalem, but in his people all around the world. It was about God, God's It was about God's people not only coming and beholding God's glory in Jesus Christ, but about them going and telling all the world the good news of the gospel. But not just telling it, but living it before the world. It was about the people of God filling the world with the light of Jesus Christ. And we need to stop here and recognize the remarkable nature of this prophecy and the way it has been and is being fulfilled. Uh, Dearly beloved, think about it. 
We are sitting in a sanctuary on the continent of North America, almost 7,000 miles from Jerusalem. In the year 2020, worshiping the one true and living God. We should not take for granted the fact that we are the fulfillment of this prophecy. We are the nations that have come to God by his grace alone, through faith alone in Jesus Christ, by way of the faithful witness of his people who have shined his light through the ages. Do you understand But we also need to understand as grateful recipients of God's grace that God has ordained that this prophecy continue to be fulfilled through us as those he has claimed as his own in Jesus Christ. As those who are in Jesus Christ, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We are God's light in this world. We need to remember that to all who place their faith in Jesus Christ and follow him as their Lord and Savior, Jesus says in his Sermon on the Mount, you are the light of the world. But notice here exactly what he says. He doesn't say you can be the light of the world. He doesn't say you should be the light of the world. He doesn't say you will be the light of the world. He says you are the light of the world. This is the identity for those who are in Jesus Christ, saved by grace through his blood poured out for them on Calvary's cross. The reality in which we live is as those who have been delivered from the dominion of darkness and brought into God's marvelous light. But it isn't just that we are in the light. No, we are the light as those in whom Jesus, who is the light of the world, has taken up residence. And Jesus tells his disciples that they are not to hide this light. He continues in his Sermon on the Mount, a city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. But why has Jesus passed his light to his people? Why shouldn't this light be hidden? Jesus tells his disciples, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Isaiah has told us God gives his light to his people to draw the nations to himself. God's people are to shine his light in order that the world might see and be drawn to worship and glorify God through their witness. God's plan for spreading his light through the world is his church. This is the exact same message that we get from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5, where Paul says, at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Did you hear that? Again, he doesn't say you were in darkness. He says you were darkness. And he doesn't say that you now are in the light. He says you are the light. There is a radical transformation of identity that occurs when we are brought into union with Christ through saving faith. Praise God that we have been delivered from the darkness. But now we must ask, what are the implications of this for our lives? If we are the light, then obviously we have, by God's grace, a mighty responsibility. How are we to live as to not hide the light of God? 
and Paul tells us. We must live in accordance with our identity. Our behavior should conform to who we are in Christ. So Paul continues in Ephesians, walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. How do we know that we are living as children of light? When the fruit that is being produced in our lives is goodness and righteousness and truth. When our lives are being lived in accordance with God's revealed will for us, which is to love God with all of our heart and soul and mind and to seek first his kingdom and to love our neighbor as ourselves. But Paul isn't done. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, he tells us, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they, that is the unbelieving pagans, do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. As those who are in the light, we are not simply to avoid evil behavior because it is inconsistent with our identity in Christ, but we are, according to Paul, to expose it. And don't miss what Paul tells us the result is. When the light exposes the darkness, the darkness becomes light. Darkness flees and the dead are brought to life. The unbelieving are brought to saving faith. This is remarkable. What Paul is saying here is that God uses his church to shine his light in order to bring about the conversion of all those whom he has called, to bring them from darkness to light. The question is, if we are called to be light bearers who expose darkness for the sake of the conversion of God's people throughout the world, then what does it mean to expose darkness? Does it mean that we are to run around shoving people's sins in their faces? Are we to stand on our soapboxes, megaphone in hand, and shout out people's personal sins to the world? No. This is not what Paul means here. We are, of course, supposed to proclaim God's truth with words. And there is a time and a place to speak with gentleness, the truth and love to someone about their sin. But I fear too often what we consider proclaiming God's truth is really something very different. And so I say this with some caution, but also in a spirit of repentance. I think that we Christians in America have gotten a reputation as whiners and complainers. And I confess that I have been a part of this at times. We look around and whine about how things are. And there's a lot to complain about, dearly beloved. We live in a world where it seems like everyone lies and no one cares, where everyone seems to be looking out only for themselves, where pleasures of the flesh are exalted and pursued with wild abandon. We live in a world that is obsessed with sex and where people are dehumanized as objects of someone else's pleasure. We live in a world that is violent and in a culture of death. We live in a world where wrong is celebrated as right and right is condemned as wrong. But listen to what Paul tells the church in Philippi. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. 
that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. There it is again. You are lights in a dark world. But how are we to live that out according to Paul in Philippians without grumbling or disputing? Dearly beloved, there's a way for us to mourn over the sin and evil in the world, and we should. The prophet Joel calls the priests to stand between the porch and the altar of the temple and weep for the way things are. And in Christ, we are the royal priesthood. We should hate the sin and evil that corrupts this world and leads to its decay and demise. We should not tolerate it in our own lives or in our community. And we should bring it before the Lord with weeping and supplication. We should weep when those in the world reject the gospel and its truth. But we are called by the word of God to not stand around and complain about the condition of the world as though we have an expectation that the world that lives in darkness would live according to the truth of God. Mourn, yes. Complain, no. The fact is grumbling is inconsistent with our identity in Christ. Christ did not die on the cross to make us complainers. In Christ, we have received every spiritual blessing Those who have been given all that is needed by God's grace have no need to gripe about what is lacking. In Christ, we are more than victors. Victors don't stand around grumbling about feeling defeated. Those who believe that Christ reigns and is in control of all creation don't complain about how the world is out of control. Trust. Trust that the Lord is good to his word in Isaiah, that he is drawing the nations to himself and that those who fail to repent that continue to live in opposition to the Lord will perish. As Isaiah says, those nations shall be utterly laid waste. The church then shouldn't grumble about those who oppose the Lord, but all the more desire to live as light for the sake of them having an opportunity to experience the life-giving power of the resurrected Christ through us. Therefore, the world shouldn't look at the church and see a community of complainers who constantly gripe that things aren't the way they want. Rather, what the world should see in Christ's church is a lamp. It should see that the light of Christ is life. It should see a light that shows forth love and peace and joy and righteousness and justice, a light shining the glory of God. And this is what Paul is getting at when he says to expose darkness. You want to know what the world should see when it looks at us? Scripture gives us many things like the fruits of the Spirit we've been covering in Sunday school, but Isaiah tells us a few. The world should see those who are repentant and lay down their pride in submission to Jesus Christ, who confess their sins and seek forgiveness. This is what the prophet Isaiah says in chapter 57. The Lord is with those of a contrite and lowly spirit. It should see those who are concerned for the care and good of others as much as their observance of their religious practices because they understand it is impossible to love God and not love your neighbor. This is what the prophet Isaiah says in chapter 58. Is not this the fast that I chose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. 
Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the poorless home, the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Then Isaiah says, shall your light break forth like the dawn. It should see those who are concerned with justice and truth and who work diligently to establish their lives in these things. For this is what the prophet Isaiah says in chapter 59, where he speaks God's word of judgment on his people for their lack of justice and truthfulness. No one, he says, enters suit justly. No one goes to law honestly. They rely on empty pleas. They speak lies. They conceive mischief and give birth to iniquity. So then how are we to expose darkness? Very simple. By reflecting God's light through our living. Pride gets exposed when there is a community of people who live in humility. Selfishness and lack of concern for others gets exposed when there is a community of people who seek to love others well. Lies get exposed by those living in truth. Injustice gets exposed by those promoting justice in their daily lives. The church doesn't need to complain about all that's wrong in the world. She simply needs to live in the light of Christ. So what Paul means by exposing the darkness isn't to speak judgmentally or condemningly towards others. It is to speak God's truth, but also to show the world its sin by allowing it to see the alternative. A light-bearing life reveals the ugliness of sin. And by God's grace, through the power of his Holy Spirit, it leads to a conviction of sin and so to penitent faith in Jesus Christ for those who are called by God. And the wonderfully freeing thing about what Isaiah tells us here and what Jesus tells his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount and what Paul tells the churches he writes to is this. Our effectiveness in converting the world isn't up to us. It isn't about being clever. It isn't about coming up with catchy slogans or spiffy sayings. It isn't about having the best arguments. Our task is clear. Simply reflect the light that God is shining on you and through you. Arise out of the grave. Stop living in death and be faithful to the one. Be faithful to the Lord who made you to be his. And the Lord will do the rest. He will draw the nations to himself. And thanks be to God, he has ordained to do that through us. So dearly beloved, be encouraged this day by God's grace given to us. He has not only brought us from darkness to light, he is using us to bring glory to himself and to convert all those he has chosen to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Isaiah says, lift up your eyes all around and see they all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. As bad as things seem in the world, God is working out his saving purposes. All around us, we can see this if we would just lift up our downcast eyes and believe God's promises. But this prophecy will only fully be completed in the new creation and in the new Jerusalem. As we've been 
As we said, this Advent season, our hope is of the coming peaceable kingdom that is fully established when Jesus returns. And Isaiah tells us here in chapter 60 that a day is coming when the lesser things will be replaced with greater things. When peace and righteousness will reign, when violence will be no more, when mourning will cease. When we will no longer need a sun or a moon because the light of God will be our everlasting light. When we will finally be fully glorified in Christ. But until that day, we as those who are in Jesus Christ are to shine the light of Christ. We are to shine the light of Christ in the gospel we proclaim and in the way the gospel shapes our living. And how we love the Lord through our worship and service. And how we love and care for one another as families. And how we love and care for one another as a church community. And how we go about our work. And how we go about our play. And how we serve and give of ourselves in our community. And how we speak. And how we approach death. And as we go about our lives, live to the glory of God. God is drawing the nations to himself. He is drawing our children to himself. He is drawing our neighbors to himself. He is drawing our co-workers to himself. He is drawing the stranger we meet on the street to himself. He is drawing the person on the other side of the world we minister to through mission to himself. So as we begin a new year, let Isaiah encourage us, rejoice, dearly beloved. The Messiah has come. The light of God has arisen on us, so arise and shine. Let us resolve to shine God's light this year until the end of the age. To the glory of God. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, the light of the world. We thank you that by his death and resurrection, Lord, that we have been forgiven of our sins, have been reconciled to you, Lord, that we have received your promised Holy Spirit, that you abide in us and us in you. Help us to shine the light of your love and your truth and your goodness to all the world. And Father, we pray that you would use us as your people in a mighty way for your saving purposes in the world. For we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. In response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us now stand and affirm what we believe using the Philippian Creed. Dearly beloved, in whom do you believe? We believe in Christ Jesus, though. 